Hey, y'all. Have you ever heard of Old Gods of Appalachia? Well, if you haven't, you have now. Let me tell you. This is a horror anthology podcast, and it is absolutely amazing. They have characters. They have actors. They have different people doing voiceovers. It is so ridiculously dope. Y'all got to check this out. Um... I'm, I'm like, I'm enthralled. I'm, I I can't stop listening to it. This shit is crazy. And I got to tell you, all the actors are, they're straight, they're queer, they're black, they're of color, they're male, they're female, they're they, thems, they, thems. They just, this thing is so diverse, man. And, and there's, there's actually some poets involved with this that I actually admire. So this is a big deal. Y'all got to check out Old Gods of Appalachia wherever you listen to your podcasts. Hey, y'all. You ever heard of an amazing young woman by the name of Zinzi Smith? Well, I have. And her and I had just an amazing conversation on Beyonce's internet. I will have you know that 20-year-old Zinzi Smith has her own black woman-owned business for an entire year now teaching spin classes. And let me tell you, she's enthusiastic. She wants the world to know that she's ready to help you shed them pounds from Thanksgiving and Christmas and help you keep up with that New Year's resolution that all of us middle-aged people like to make while we're still making them. So I, for one, am going to try and take one of her classes, just $15 for an online class with Zinzi Smith. She also teaches in person in studios in Brooklyn and in Queens and NYC. And all around, I got to tell you, I am just in awe of her. So you can reach out to her on Spin With Zin. That's Spin With Z-I-N on TikTok and on Instagram. And let her know that you heard it here on Black Fluid Poets Podcast. And you're trying to shed them pounds and keep up that New Year's resolution. You feel me? So, give her a shout out. Let me know how it went. Hey, y'all. So, check it, check it, check it, check it out. I just came across a new clothing line that is amazing. It is Jupiter's Art. This is a clothing line for non-binary people, right? So the clothes are genderless and uh, they are also sustainable. Um, There's carbon offset and they don't add anything negative to the environment. And they're also um, an ethical company with fair pay for their employees and they welcome uh, anyone in the spectrum of LGBT and race. It is owned by people of color and they deserve your attention. You can find Jupiter's Art on Instagram, on TikTok, and you can search for them on Google and find the website. It is amazing. Check it, check it, check it out. Wait till you see this jacket. Oh my God. It, it is amazing. Y'all, you got to peep it. Jupiter's Art. Check it. Hey, y'all. It's your friend, Black Fluid Poet, a.k.a. John S. Blake. 
coming to you live from my humble abode of books during this pandemic paradise where quarantine just ain't cute no more. This is January 23rd, Saturday night. In New Mexico time, mountain area, it is 9.58 p.m. and I am confused. I gotta tell y'all, I am conflicted. I think conflicted is better than confused. Confusion is a lack of a decision, but confliction is not even knowing what the decisions are to make, right? So first, let me say that morning podcasts are out of the question. Child, I can't function until at least an hour after my second mug of coffee. So that's just not going to work for me. Uh, then let me say that um, in the last 24 hours, I decided to chill out and watch some Netflix. And uh, I got to tell y'all, Netflix and chill doesn't work for an intellectual. Like, we watch intellectual shit. So we're not even chilling. We're still thinking. Like, I don't know how to like, I don't know how to watch Tiger King. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I just, I I can't. I just, I can't. I can't watch, you know, Housewives of any city. I can't do it. Like, I, I can feel, I can feel my IQ just dwindling away like the walls of Jericho just crumbling you know what I mean <laughs> I tried it's like you know it's like reading you know smut fiction like dude I can't get this time back how am I spending my time you, you feel me so when I Netflix and think <laughs> um, I tend to watch uh, documentaries or at least some sort of drama series that deals with the contemporary issues that face us today, you know? And so I did both. I watched a movie and I watched a documentary. Now, the documentary I watched was about crack cocaine. And y'all, it... Now, let, let me say I lived through it for y'all. For those of you who don't know, I'm 50, so... I was born in 1970. When the crack epidemic hit, I was 12. And it brought up so much pain. And not only did it bring up pain, but you know how I've said it before, hindsight is always 2020. That's that's not a, a new saying, right? But to look back on your adolescence, right, as a 50-year-old man, realizing the things that are that were taken from me. You know, it's it's kind of like when you look at an abusive parent years and years and years away, and and you, you or maybe a relative you see at Thanksgiving dinner, you know, and you look over and you're like, you robbed me. You robbed me and so many years have passed. Is it even worth the energy to get angry about it today? Right? Where I didn't, I wasn't sure which was more foolish. 
to get angry about things that were literally done to me decades ago, knowing that I'm absolutely powerless and there's nothing I can do about it now, or to ignore the anger and dismiss how I feel and move on from it or try to move on from it without expressing the frustration I felt. You know, watching the crack epidemic from this macro view, right? Not not from my hood, not from where I live, not from my <clears throat> my experiences as an individual, but to see it from a national stage and then an international stage. So like, you know how sometimes on a movie set they'll show the neighborhood you live in and then they'll back it up and they'll show the city, then they'll show the state, then they'll show the country and so on until it's like the planet is the size of a marble, right? I felt like that's how I looked at the crack epidemic through this documentary. And... It was one thing to hear rumors when I was in my 20s about how the Reagan administration used the CIA to flood the inner cities with cocaine in order to fund um, a civil war in Nicaragua, right? But it's another thing to be 50, to have a couple of college degrees, to read all the books, and then watch this documentary and relive those experiences with new eyes. It brought up a rage that I have never felt. And, and you know, there was no internet then. So you didn't hear, like, you didn't hear, like, on TikTok, you know, you could hear from people in London. You could hear from people in real time during a protest. You can... You can find out what's going on around the world at any second if you want to. So back then, all I knew is what was happening in, what was happening in North Jersey, right? In Bergen County, Passaic County, and what was happening in Washington Heights, New York City. Uh, Harlem, New York City, you know, um, those areas. But to find out what was happening in Los Angeles, South Carolina... Florida, I was just dumbfounded, man. Like I was beside myself. I was angry that Reagan was dead. <laughs> like I was seriously upset that Reagan was dead. Like I had some choice words for this dude. And I mean, the, there were different stories that were happening where you know how we talk about, um, you know, we talk about Karens. Well, there was this one Karen named Shirley Brown, and she was a nurse in a South Carolina hospital. And when black women who were pregnant and about to deliver came in, she would ask them questions about drug use. And if they tested positive for cocaine, she was asking them where they got their drugs, how much drugs they did, now, this is all, you know, in, in their medical records. And then after the nurse got all this information, siphoned all these information, interrogated her patients, then she took their files and handed them over to the police. And these black women 
were then arrested. They were handcuffed to their gurneys while they delivered babies. Then they were dragged away, still bleeding, and off to a jail cell. What kind of a world? Like, I, I had no idea that was happening. You know, I was 13, 14, 15. And, you know, at 13, the first time I smoked crack, I remember I was in Washington Heights. I was on, I was on 100, 163rd Street in St. Nick. And we were in a building. And we were in the lobby of the building, me and my sister, smoking crack in the lobby of a building on 163rd in St. Nick. It could have been 165th. Now, I'm, I'm going back a lot of years here. This is over 30 years I'm talking. I had no idea that the glass pipe in my mouth and the drugs I was burning and inhaling I had no idea that that was complimentary of the United States government. I mean, how do you wrap your brain around something like that? How do I wrap my brain around the fact that my government cared so little about me and mine, my friends, my neighbors? They thought it was more important to fight communism in Nicaragua and to take care of their own citizens. Capitalism was so important to the wealthy few that I was that expendable, that a 13-year-old boy having crack readily available to him outside of his apartment door, I was just expendable. You know, there was a time when I was a kid and I really believed that America was the greatest place on earth. Even though I had never been anywhere else. Even though I was living in the projects. I always thought this was the best place. Everybody wants to live here. Everybody wants to be in America. Everybody loves this country. Them stars and stripes. I mean, I took that Pledge of Allegiance seriously, man. When I made the Pledge of Allegiance, man, I believed that God and President Carter could hear me. <laughs> man, I kid you not. I really believed that everything I was doing, even as a kid, I had dreams of being a president. I had dreams of being a police officer. I really believed that everyone was put on this earth to protect everyone else. And it comes this this atomic blow to the faith. I mean, even now at 50, I'm, you know, you get to be my age, the cynicism starts creeping in. But I always knew corruption happened, right? Corruption happens everywhere where power happens. You're, you're a fool to think. It doesn't. Corruption happens in parenting, man. You know, parents sometimes exploit their children. Parents sometimes neglect their children. Parents sometimes abuse their children. So even the power of parent over child can be corruptive. 
Is there corruption in the police force? Of course there is. There's power there. Is there corruption in government? Sure. But you allowed your own country to fill with cocaine just so your wealthy constituents could stay wealthy. You sacrificed millions. It's unforgivable. I mean, it's just unforgivable. And then for the next three presidencies, from Reagan to Bush to Clinton, they just started putting all the black and brown people in prison. Now, mind you, as per the documentary, two-thirds of people using crack were from the suburbs, were white, were driving into the city, picking up their coke, and going back out to the suburbs. But it was only black people getting arrested and jailed. With, I'm sure, few exceptions. And so this weight sat in my chest. I mean, how do you... With a rational mind, how do you get upset about something from so long ago that you can do nothing about? Like, how much time do I devote to that kind of anger? Like, I didn't know what I didn't know then, but I know it now. And what do I do with that? What do you do with it when when there's... When there's no time machine, what do you what do you do with this this cloud of flies in your belly just crawling? Like I just feel so foolish. I feel so gullible. Like I I I remember I had a, a professor who uh, I didn't understand. I was, I was in a political science class and um, we, were, we were talking about the different aspects of, of politics, you know, um, from conservative views to nationalism to, you know, black feminist views on, on politics. And, and I, I was like, how are these political approaches? I don't understand how are they political approaches? And he was like, well, this, you know, black feminist, uh, black feminist politics means that things become more intersectional, that we, we consider all these different aspects and, you know, egalitarianism. And I was like, wait, 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 what exactly is politics? I, I've been on this earth 40 and some odd years, and I don't know what that fucking word means. What does politics mean? And this brilliant, brilliant man looked at me and with his Brown University PhD, he broke it down so simple. He said, Blake, politics is who gets what and why. And I went, oh, shit. 
Now I understand. So when people say, you know, why do you have to bring up politics? Don't make this into politics. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Everything, and he said, yeah, everything is politics. I was like, oh, so that's why the personal is the political. He was like, right. And I said, oh, so everything they say and do has something to do with what's going to happen in my life as a citizen in this country. He says, yes, every single word that they spew, every single act that they commit affects you. And I'll tell you, y'all, had somebody told me that in high school, it would have changed my life. Had somebody told me as a teenager, understand that everything in life is politics, that the personal is political, and politics is who gets what and why. Now, I take that and I review the crack epidemic. I take that and I lay it over the AIDS epidemic. And then I understand so clearly why things happen the way they happen. It took me a while to go to sleep last night. And I woke up today, I was a little drained. But you know, it's a new day. I took another breath. I found my gratitude and I started my day, you know. And I got some work done, some schoolwork. I got a lot of poetry to do. And uh, I decided to take a break. And I said, you know, finally, I, I saw people putting up snippets from American Skin. So I was like, okay, I got to find out where everybody's watching this movie because I got to see it. So I went on the Prime video and I ordered it. And... Y'all, this movie broke me. It had like a 27 on Rotten Tomatoes. And I was like, oh God, this movie's going to be awful, but fuck it, I got to support, right? I, I got to watch this movie. I've been dying to see American Skin. And I watched this movie and y'all, it broke me for so many reasons. Because I know in my heart of hearts, that is not the movie the director really wanted to make. I know it. I know it. They played it real safe at the end of that movie. They played it real safe during that movie. Because if, if that was going to be a for real, for real type Spike Lee joint, Everybody white would have died in that movie. If Toni Morrison directed that movie, they'd have shot the white girl first. You feel me? <laughs> but it broke me. Because by the end of the movie, I had less answers and more questions. By the end of that movie, I had some compassion for individual police officers, but I had even less compassion about the state of policing because it's not working. It's just not working.
And it's like, from watching the documentary about crack the day before, I can honestly say, knowing how policing has always been, I can honestly say that the philosophies and ideologies behind policing are still suffering the trauma of what they had to deal with during the crack epidemic. That there has been trauma handed down from captain to lieutenant to sergeant to officer. I'm telling you, y'all. It's, it's, it's diabolical. It's diabolical how the wealthy have split us, right, into these two, the, into these polar opposites. And every once in a while, they ring the bell and watch us fight. It's amazing. And knowing, here's, here's where I'm, my, I started by saying I was conflicted, and here's where I'm conflicted, right? Knowing that that 1%, that the wealthy class, that they win as long as my black ass and your white ass are fighting each other. But refusing to bury the hatchet because your white ass has been doing some fuck shit for so long. How do I lay the resentments down? After all this time, and you still don't see me. And in a lot of ways, I still don't see them. How, how does 80 million Democrats reach an olive branch across the aisle to 75 million Trump supporters? Or vice versa? Like, dog, you were like, fuck black lives. And there's been some moments where I've been like, yo, fuck white people. And knowing that if I maintain this attitude, the same people who funded Reagan, who funded the crack epidemic, who neglected the AIDS epidemic, knowing that these people will win if I maintain this attitude. But I'm seeing very little hope and very few benefits to burying the hatchet at all. Like, do we really, if if we really came together, if poor white people and people of color and frustrated middle-class white people. We, if we actually, in a perfect world, all came together and just did away with our differences and was like, fuck it, we eating the rich. We want healthcare back. My kids need to go to college. Y'all got me working three fucking jobs. My kids don't have parents because both of us are at work. We frustrated, drugs are just flooding the streets. Enough is enough. We join in forces. We want our shit. If we did that, would it really work? 
I don't know. And what kind of... What kind of retracing our steps do we do, man? I mean, what kind of a miracle would it be for a Trump supporter to acknowledge that black people are suffering today from things that happened hundreds of years ago and things that have happened as recently as the 70s? Could Trump supporters actually acknowledge that black people deserve reparations? for centuries of exploitation? And could people who know that black lives matter, could they get behind white folk in the Midwest who are losing their lands to banks? Could they get behind poor white families who you know, the man of the house been working at this cannery factory for, you know, 20 years and they shut it down and sent his job overseas. You know, that the Walmarts just keep posting up and that him and his wife been working at this Walmart forever. Could a poor single mother from a trailer park throw her arms around a poor single mother that's black from the projects? And could they put aside all the resentments from generations past and work together? I'm going to be real. I don't see it happening. I want it to, though. I want it to so bad. I would love nothing more than for all of us to come together, man. We were so close, man. We were so close. I'm telling you, I read so much about the Black Power Movement, about them late 60s, early 70s, and dog, in the 70s, we were so close. When we all realized that all of our issues intersected and we needed each other. Man, at least in New York City, man, it was like, you know... White kids who who were privileged enough to receive the benefits of the college education, you know, hanging out with members of the Black Panther Party, who were then, you know, hanging out with Mexicans that were part of the labor uh, labor party, and and man, we were so close. I think about how Nixon strategically fucked shit up. And how Reagan, years later, did some more damage. So much damage. You know, and we should have known. I mean, Reagan was the governor of California when the Black Panther Party movement happened. And he was, man, it was open season on Black Panthers. But I mean, that's what we're up against. We're up against people that would sacrifice millions of lives to further capitalism. Millions. You know how powerful capitalism is? No major news network is covering the largest 
labor union strike on the planet happening right now in India. All the farm workers are striking. No produce. They ain't doing nothing right now. Because due to American influence, they're trying to push India's farmers into a free market system. And the farmers know that they're going to be exploited and they're not having it. And we, CNN, MSNBC, ABC, CBS, NBC, the Washington Post, the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, nothing. It's like the shit ain't even happening. We have the internet and we ain't seeing nothing. You have to literally look for it. Literally search to find out what's really going on in the world with all of this access. They're doing their best to hide this man. And the news is so pertinent to right now that I I just typed India into Google, just wanting to see what the search engine was going to offer me. And it was offering me vacation spots, you know, um, just things about food. And I was like, Google, you know me, you know me, you know, you're supposed to design this to my preferences. Since when have I ever looked up cuisine? Since when have I ever looked up the word vacation? I'm a poet. You know I ain't vacationing. <laughs> Poets ain't got it like that. But Google was like, oh, oh, you oh, you mean the 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 labor strike? Oh, oh, well, yeah, we might have something for that. Yeah, go ahead, keep looking. <laughs> and I'm like, after all these years, y'all see no benefit to doing better. And I think that there was a blessing, right? Because at one point I was like, maybe I shouldn't be watching all of this stuff, man. It's just going to bring me lower. And it didn't. What it did was it sharpened my focus. Because now I understand why I wasn't happy watching the inauguration. There was something going on, but I couldn't I couldn't put a finger on it. You know what I'm saying? It, it was there was just this pulse happening. Like just an irregular heartbeat in the air. And that's what it was. I was watching, right? And you see, you know, GW Jr. You know, you see Obama. You see Bill and Hillary. You know, and here's Joe. And I'm looking. And what I'm really, really, for real, for real seeing is how they just keep passing the torch to each other. Like, it's just like ring around the rosy with them, man. So like, you know, Biden was the vice president for Obama who had two terms. So Biden was in there for two terms already. You know, um, Hillary was the secretary of state. Then she tried to run for the president and her husband was the president some years back. And then, you know, George W's there, you know, his dad passed on, but, you know, his dad was president, he was president, his brother tried to run for the president. So it's like the select group of people. And I'm like, oh, y'all all at the cool kids table, can't nobody else get in there. Oh, I see how it is now. And I'm like, so what's next? Michelle going to run soon? 
and and even though the poem was beautiful, shout out to Gorman, shout out to Amanda. Poem was beautiful. Her braids were gorgeous. I think wearing those braids was probably my. I think that was my greatest joy of the entire inauguration was Amanda Gorman's braids. Those same braids that schools are throwing kids out of class for, those same braids that women have lost their jobs trying to wear them to work, those same braids that have been called unkempt, they've been called unprofessional. Here she is wearing them, spitting a poem to the entire world on the president's inauguration day. That was a yes for me. That was politics. That was politics. If they were good enough to wear on inauguration day, say something now if somebody wears them to work. And I was grateful for that moment, truly grateful. But everything else just seemed... It was like watching a magic trick and I already knew that there were mirrors on the stage. That's what it felt like for me. And I hate the sound so cynical. I hate the sound uh, so curmudgeon, you know? But it's going to take a lot to impress me now. There's a lot to make up for. This government has a lot to make up for, man. And the kind of changes that need to happen, unfortunately, here I am, another generation saying it, are probably not going to happen in my generation. And I hope we're moving into a better direction. I still have hope. I ain't let go of that yet. Somehow, some way. We're going to have to come to some middle ground. And I don't know how that's going to happen. Everybody's mad. I feel like. I feel like there's 200 million citizens angry at the government and taking it out on each other. But. The problem is that some of the things that the citizens are taking out on each other are valid, man. It's valid. I want to love everybody. I really do, man. I in a per I, in a perfect world, there is so much mutual respect and consideration. I keep thinking of that phrase. Justice is what love looks like in public. Justice is what love looks like in public. And then I think about a line I heard on an old Law & Order episode where he said, the law has nothing to do with justice. The law has nothing to do with justice. Well, so much for Netflix and chilling, huh? <laughs> well, I'm going to take it to bed, y'all. I just wanted to tell y'all that I'm still out here thinking. 
Just wanted to share with you my human side. I know this is one of my less positive messages, but I think sometimes it's healthy to just just give it out raw. This is just how I really felt. This is what I've really been going through, the things I've been struggling with. These are the things that keep me up at night. The big picture. What does the big picture look like to you? Now, in other business, before I go, I just want to tell you, I need 1,000 people to favorite my podcast. It costs nothing. If 1,000 people can favorite my podcast, I can start getting other ads and start making some income. That would be really great right about now. You can also sponsor me on Anchor.fm for 99 cents a month. That's it. 99 cents a month. Tell a friend. It's a dollar, yo. It's not even a dollar. It's one penny short of a dollar. You can't even get a cigarette on a New York City street for a dollar. It's a dollar. One dollar. Tell your friends. I also have a Patreon. It's patreon.com slash blackfluidpoet where I put up a lot of my writing. And uh, my writing is very, very personal to me. I don't share it openly with just anybody. So, But I'm so desperate for money that I decided to make a Patreon page. And so for as little as $5 a month, $4.99 to be exact, you can read my poetry. You can read excerpts from my memoir that I'm going to be putting out soon. And uh, check out my journal, my innermost thoughts. In the meantime, take care of you. Because in the end, you are all you have. Have a good night. Hey, y'all. Your fam, Black Fluid Poet. Check it out. If you love this podcast, I want to thank you for favoriting the podcast because it means the world to me. However, the way I can get more advertisers is to have more subscribers. If advertisers um, see that... um, I have a lot of subscribers, they will be more willing to give me opportunities to advertise for them. So in order for me to get these ads, I need to get to a decent amount of subscribers. So you come here to anchor.fm and you go to support and you can pick 99 cents, 4.99 or 9.99. Please feel free to pick 99 cents. I, I, I am overjoyed at anyone who wants to support my dream of getting this podcast taking off. You know what I'm saying? So please just consider it. If I could get a thousand subscribers, I could get out of this poverty thing. You know what I'm saying? Because yo, the struggle is real. Y'all take care.